But uh, before we jump into our passage, I'm going to invite you guys uh, to go ahead and make your way to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 40 through 56 in Luke chapter 8. But while we are making our way there, I want to just pause for just a minute and laugh and and celebrate with you guys something that I thought was really cool this week. So uh, this week's passage is just such a perfect example of why we study the Bible the way that we do. At the Rock Community Church, if, if you haven't figured it out by now, we go straight through books of the Bible, and so when we finish the passage that we were studying last week, then we go into the next passage, and then we go into the next passage, and we, we just go straight through. And what that means is that God kind of sets our schedule for us. So this week was set out, that the passage was set out for this week probably six to nine months ago. And as we come into this week, this week has been a perfect picture of how God is really cool and really in control with this because uh, chaos breaks out at our nation's capital this week. And it seems like uh, the news and, and every conversation that I've been having over the past several days has been how out of control life seems, how chaotic things are. And, and, and this passage that we're going to look at this morning just perfectly addresses uh, the fact that, that life seems out of control to us this week. And it offers comfort and wisdom for us in this exact moment in time, exactly what we needed. And if I had tried to come up with a perfect message for what we needed to hear this week, I don't think I could have come up with better. I, I don't think I could have come up with anything better than what God has to say as we just plug through week after week through his word. So uh, God writes our schedule, and what a blessing it is that God is in control, and God knew exactly what we were going to need this week in like March or April when we were setting all this up. So um, just as a reminder for everyone, three weeks ago, as we were studying our way through Luke, we were in Luke chapter 8, and we saw this story where Jesus was with his disciples going across the Sea of Galilee, and as they were going across, this gigantic storm comes upon the boat, and the fishermen and the disciples that were there with them in the boat, they were panicked. They thought, the boat's going down. We're not going to make it, and so they cry out to Jesus, Jesus, save us. And Jesus stand up, stands up and he rebukes the wind and he rebukes the waves and they immediately stopped. Tells us that they immediately stopped, which is uh, somehow conceivable for us with the wind. But when the waves that are so large that they think the boat is going to sink just immediately go calm, we see this incredible picture of how God is in control of nature. And then the last two weeks, what we've seen is uh, Bruce Cook, our, our elder, was up here sharing with us for the last two weeks and did a wonderful job talking about how Jesus was in control of this situation where he encountered a man that was just identified as legion. He was uh, possessed by thousands of demons, and, and Jesus showed that he had power over these demons, over these spiritual forces that were at work in the world. And this week, what we're going to get to see is a story that actually has two different miracle stories that are a part of our passage this week. And we're going to see that Jesus has power over nature a few weeks ago. We saw that Jesus had power over demons and the spiritual forces at work in the world. And then this week we get to see that Jesus has power over sickness and even over death. So uh, this little section that we are looking at uh, completes kind of a, a picture of Jesus's power that Luke put in in Luke chapter 8 and in verse 22 all the way through 56, this section. 
It shows us that Jesus is Lord over nature. He's Lord over demons. He's Lord over sickness. He's Lord over even death. He's Lord over everything. He is in control. There's nothing that's outside of his control. And, and we have this story this week that we're going to look at. It's a story about a man and his sick daughter. It's a story about an interruption where a woman is sick and needs to be healed. But really, it's a story about God that we're going to look at this morning. So I'd invite you to, to turn to Luke chapter 8. We're going to start reading in verse 40. We're going to read the whole thing, and then we'll come back and, and chew on a few different pieces. I'd invite you to follow along. Verse 40, it starts and says, As Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. There came a man named Jairus. He was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing in against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him, Jesus, and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Jesus said, who's the one that touched me? While they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the, crowd, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him, how she had been immediately healed. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace." When he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but Jesus said, Stop weeping, for she has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise, and her spirit returned. She got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Let's pray together this morning. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for this wonderful, beautiful passage for us as we look at this and as we are going to get to see that, God, you work right on time in your perfect time every time. So, God, as we study this, as we hear from you this morning, I pray that it would be an encouragement for us, God, that it would challenge us to trust you better as we see Jesus at work this morning. So, God, we give this time to you. We pray that you would speak and that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, as we break this down, as we talk about this idea of trusting God's timing, that is the idea that we're going to see all the way through this story that it's important for people to trust God's timing. We look at this first section where uh, someone comes to Jesus. Jairus, this man, comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, hurry. Jesus, I, I need you to come with me because my daughter is sick. See, uh, if, if you remember what we've seen over the past few verses, Jesus was teaching in this area, in Capernaum. And uh, he had been teaching at the beginning of the chapter, and the crowds were kind of pressing in the, 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 the news of who Jesus was and the miracles that he was performing had kind of made this a little bit of a spectacle that people wanted to come out and see what Jesus was going to be doing. And so he had gotten in the boat, if you remember, in the middle of this 
chapter, he had gotten in the boat and gone across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. That was when uh, the storm came up and, and Jesus had to calm the storm. And then it was over on the other side of the Sea of Galilee that Jesus had healed that demon-possessed man. And, and now he's returned. Now as they take the boat back across the sea, they come across and, and he returns and there's this vast crowd that's still, I guess, just standing there on the shore waiting. They saw Jesus go in the boat and they just stood there waiting patiently for him to come back. But it says that there was this vast crowd that sh- swarmed the shore to meet him, to, to see what other miracles he might perform, to see what else he might do. And there was this dangerous, jostling, noisy crowd that was pressing in on him. And all of a sudden they were silenced momentarily because in this story it says that that something strange happened. There's this extraordinary spectacle because laid down on his face before Jesus, there is this religious leader, Jairus. He was a leader from the synagogue, it tells us, and, and he was pleading with Jesus to come and to save his sick daughter. Jesus, no one else has been able to do anything. My daughter is going to die. I know that you have done some incredible things. So he comes to Jesus in desperation and asks Jesus for help. Jairus is identified as an official of the synagogue. And as far as we know, he hadn't exactly been friendly toward Jesus. Uh, If you remember all of the other stories that we've looked at in the Gospel of Luke so far, we've seen place after place where people from the religious establishment weren't exactly on the best terms with Jesus. We see uh, all these stories where uh, Jesus is doing something and the Pharisees show up or, or, or the leaders from the synagogue show up. And, and most of the time, I, the picture I have is of them with their arms crossed in the corner watching, just waiting for Jesus to slip up. They're, 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 they're waiting to trap Jesus. And so we don't know a whole lot about Jairus outside of this, but, but we know that he was a religious leader and that the religious leaders had taken a very anti-Jesus position up to this point. But it's in this moment that, that a humble Jairus that, that has nowhere else to turn comes to Jesus, lays himself down in front of him, and begs Jesus to come and to save his only daughter. This humbled appeal to Jesus was indeed amazing. It, it stopped Jesus in his tracks, and maybe he's not sure about Jesus. Maybe there's just some last-ditch effort of faith in him as he comes to Jesus. But he does, in fact, have enough faith to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know that you have power over sickness, and, and I, I've seen that. So Jairus comes to Jesus in whatever small amount of faith he may have, and and comes to Jesus and asks Jesus for help. I believe uh, Jairus Jairus was in a position where many other people that have come to faith have found themselves. Jairus was like so many others that have come to Christ because uh, perhaps it wasn't his love for Christ that initially brought him to Jesus. The fact is, in this situation, he came to Jesus because he was desperate. He came to Jesus because he had nowhere else to turn. And and desperation is commonly the prelude for saving faith. It's commonly the prelude for God's grace coming into our lives. It's often many of us, as I I look around this crowd, and I know some of your stories, and, 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 and I know in my own story, the reality is that that often it's it's necessity that brings us to Jesus. Jesus, I have nowhere else to turn. Jesus, I'm, I'm not good enough to figure all this out on my own. I, I need your help. 
And it's in that desperation that we find Jairus here. Finally, before we move on, I want to point out Jesus' response to this man that had possibly been an enemy, we don't know for sure. Maybe at at best case, he was just a, a neutral outsider to Jesus. He didn't have a relationship with Jesus, but he comes and he begs Jesus to to come with him and heal his sick daughter. And, and we see in this story, it just kind of assumes in Luke that Jesus is on his way to go heal Jairus' daughter. The parallel story, as, as Mark tells the story in his gospel, it says in Mark 5.24, so Jesus went with him. There was no conversation. There was no Jesus crossing his arms saying, you've been an enemy of mine. You need to prove it. You need to prove that you're worthy of this miracle. But no, Jesus is just compassionate and loving and kind. And he says, okay, let's go. Let's go heal your daughter. Jesus was compassionate and he went with Jairus immediately. So we've got that story going on. And as they are going to Jairus' house to to heal Jairus' sick daughter, we have this interruption. Because Jesus is is first told, Jesus, come hurry quickly. My, My daughter's sick. And now we have this interruption in the middle of our story where we get this section that says, Jesus, wait. Jesus, wait. Because as he's moving through the crowd, we see this woman that has been bleeding for 12 years interrupt in verses 43 through 48. Let's read those verses again so they're fresh in our mind. It says in verse 43, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Jesus said, who is the one that touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding in and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, no, someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him, how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. as Jesus is on his journey to Jairus' house, we have this little interruption that pops up in our story. This, This poor woman had done her best that she possibly could to escape notice as she had tried to come to Jesus. The religious people in the crowd probably wouldn't have been really excited about her being in the crowd and bumping up against people and, and trying to make her way to Jesus. The fact is that, that she would have been considered unclean based on some of the Old Testament laws. And so as she is coming through the crowd, she's, she's rubbing off her ceremonial uncleanness on all of the people that she bumps up against. And so the religious people in the crowd would have been angry that she was there if they had known that she was there. She was likely humiliated by her illness. We don't know for sure, but, but she had been ostracized and, and, and cast to the fringes of society for 12 years at least, as it says that she has had this medical problem that would have caused her to be considered an unclean outsider. And so during this entire time, she has, has, has struggled in her infirmity and she sees Jesus is coming through. I'm going to give it my best effort that I can. I'm going to sneak over and try to see if I can, and can be healed by coming to Jesus. She took a risk because she was desperate. That sounds familiar, right? Jairus in the same position. But this woman's faith as she comes to Jesus, notice the fact that she doesn't come to Jesus the same way that Jairus does. She doesn't come and, and announce herself before Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to heal me. 
she just kind of sneaks over and, and it says that he, she just tried to, to touch the edge of his garment, that she just tried to, to touch the edge of his cloak, that, that she assumed that, that perhaps she would be healed if just a shadow fell upon her, if she was just able to, to touch the edge of Jesus' coat, that she would be healed. And we don't know a whole lot about why she chose to do that. This is a little bit of speculation on my part. But, but it seems like as we see this, that she didn't come and ask Jesus for a miracle. She just came and, and wanted to brush up against him. It seems like she's got what I believe at its core is just a, an ignorant faith. She doesn't really know all of the details about who Jesus is. It seems like she doesn't know all of the answers. She doesn't have all the, the theological questions answered and and dialed in, what she does know is that she needs help, and and she's seeking what kind of seems to me to be a a magical cure. If I can just get close enough, maybe some of Jesus's magical powers will rub off on me and I'll be healed. That seems strange, doesn't it? We know that that's not how God works. That's not how Jesus works, and her faith was uninformed. It It was perhaps superstitious, Perhaps it was imperfect, but what we do know from these verses is that her faith was real, that Jesus honored her faith, that, that Christ honored this fledgling faith, whatever, whatever it may have been, however small or uninformed it was, Jesus honors it. It says that Jesus turns to her in verse 48, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. So this woman's ignorant faith had healed her in this moment as Jesus had healed her in this moment. I believe God does the same thing today for for ignorant people like me and like you. He honors fledgling faith. He honors that uninformed faith at times. See, uh, beginning faith, as people come to a relationship with Jesus, it's often uninformed at first. It's often mixed with errors or misconceptions or misguided ideas of, of who God is or how God works Perhaps people don't understand fully who Jesus is. They don't fully understand the mystery of the Trinity and how we can worship a God that is both one and three persons at the same time. Perhaps, perhaps they're uninformed about the Bible or, or, or everything that the Bible has to say, but, but foggy understandings of Scripture, foggy understandings of who God is are often the true beginning of an authentic, genuine relationship with Him. We can take courage in the fact that, that, that in this woman's story, we, don't, we, we realize that we don't have to have everything figured out. God doesn't just come to the theologians, to the people who went to seminary, to the people who have all the answers figured out and have written a big, long textbook about it. Jesus honors this woman's faith as imperfect as it may have been because she possessed a, a faith that pleased God. When she came to Jesus and, and said, Jesus, I have nowhere else to turn. I I might as well come to you. That was the moment in faith where where God saw true faith in her and honored it, even if it was uninformed. For us, we we certainly, we, we must believe it is essential for us as people who have a relationship with God, who seek that relationship with God. It's essential for us to acknowledge that Jesus was God, that Jesus was the perfect man and that Jesus did die on the cross. He, he died a literal death and he was literally resurrected in bodily form from the dead. That is our hope for the future. That is our hope that, that if it's not for those things, we have no shot. So it's important for us to understand and to agree upon that. But, 
But all the rest of it, all the rest of it, we can figure out. It's not enough for us to just say, ah, we'll, we'll get to it. I'm just going to stay uninformed forever. But this shows us that, that God honors that faith, that, that true faith is not the sole property of the spiritually elite. That God reached into this woman's life and he saved her because of her simple, possibly uninformed faith. Let's not forget about Jairus at this point in the story, though, because Jairus is, is going through this adventure where he has come to Jesus probably with, with very little hope. My daughter is sick. My only daughter is sick and about to die. And so he comes to Jesus, and, and as he comes to Jesus, he humbles himself and comes desperate for a miracle. And Jesus had agreed to follow Jairus to his house to heal the girl, and, and Jesus stops and is interrupted by this woman we see this little interaction take place, and now we get to go back to Jairus' story. So the last little section we're going to look at, we're going to read verses 49 through 56 again, and we're going to see Jairus' conclusion to his story. Verse 49, it says, While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. And she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately. And he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. As we come back to Jairus at this point in our story, we see Jairus going on this really incredible emotional roller coaster as he's riding the highs of some moments of excitement and the lows of some moments of, of terrible disappointment. First, he had come to Jesus desperate for a miracle. We saw that a few verses ago. And now in verse 43 through 48, as we see him stop, Jesus stop and heal this woman on his way to Jairus' house, it feels like hope was probably growing in Jairus, right? That as he sees Jesus heal this woman just with uh, brushing his coat up against her, that Jesus has the power to heal this sick woman, Jairus, is, his hopes are probably growing as, well, if, if Jesus healed her, and she didn't even have the, the faith to ask Jesus for a miracle. I've come and humbled myself before him. Jesus is going to heal my daughter. And so we, we see Jairus going up this, this high, this exciting moment of uh, my daughter will be made well. And next, in just a few moments, in verse 49, they continue toward Jairus's house, and one of the the servants, one of the workers from Jairus' house comes and, and tells him, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. He doesn't have to come heal your daughter anymore because your daughter has died. Jairus goes from this really great high to this really low, I'm sure, terrible moment of emotion as he hears the news that his daughter has died. He had failed. He had gone to Jesus seeking a miracle and he had failed. He was too late. He may have had thoughts of, Jesus, why did you have to stop and talk to this woman? If we had hurried and gone to my house, maybe my daughter would still be alive. And, and then in verse 50, Jesus turns to Jairus in that moment, and he says, don't worry, believe. 
your daughter will be made well. She's going to be fine. So Jesus proceeds to the house and, and he heals the daughter in front of an amazed father and mother and, and probably three really excited disciples that got to stand in the corner and watch Jesus do this incredible thing and, and raise this young girl from the dead. Verses 54 and 55, it tells us, Jesus took her by the hand and called to her saying, Child, arise, and her spirit returned. And she got up immediately. And he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. You guys notice that? That word keeps coming back. There's a word that we've seen a couple of different times in these stories where Jesus does something incredible. It, it tells us here in these verses, it says that, that her spirit returned and she got up immediately. You guys remember that from the storm a few weeks ago that it said that Jesus rebuked the storm. He said, storm, stop it. And immediately it stopped. This isn't changing weather patterns where the winds slowly died down and, and the waves slowly calmed. Jesus was in perfect control of the wind and of the waves, and he was able to make the waves just stop. This isn't a girl who was on the brink of death, who, whose, whose heart rate had slowed down, where, where people were perhaps confused about the fact that she was dead. She, no, she was dead. And then in a moment, Jesus said, child, arise, and immediately she gets up. Immediately, this isn't some fluke that happens by chance. This is Jesus showing, I have power over sickness. I have power over death. I have power over all of it. Can you imagine the words as they fall on this child? This child's cold, dead, lifeless body is laying there, and, and all of a sudden, Jesus tells her to rise, and her eyes open. She starts to blink, and as her eyes adjust, she sees the face of Jesus standing there over top of her, and, and perhaps tear-soaked faces of mom and dad standing behind Jesus as, as this picture is playing out. As she's waking up, there's this incredible scene of Jesus in a moment showing he has power that nobody else has. In these few verses, what we see in these verses are familiar stories. They, they sound familiar to us. We may have studied these things before, and, and they definitely sound similar to other things that we've seen in the Gospel of Luke. We've seen Jesus heal other people in this Gospel so far. We've even seen him raise a, a child from the dead. But there's profound meaning in these stories that I want us to pause for, for just a few moments as we finish up today. See, there's this roller coaster of emotion that Jairus rode as, as he believed his daughter was going to be healed, and then he finds out that his daughter was dead. And then he, he finally sees that, that Jesus has saved and, and healed his daughter. It reminds me of the complaint of Martha in John chapter 11. You remember Martha. Martha and, and Mary, her sister, they were the sisters of Lazarus, the, the friends of Jesus. And as the friends of Jesus, as we see that story play out in the gospel of John, what we see is Lazarus gets sick. And as Lazarus gets sick, Mary and Martha, his sisters that cared deeply for him, that wanted Jesus to come and heal him, just like Jairus. Jesus, come and heal our sick brother. And, and Jesus takes his time and he comes in a few days. And, and as he makes his way there, Lazarus has died. And as he makes his way there, in John chapter 11, verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
Martha's experiencing these same emotions, the same roller coaster that, that Jairus was on. Jairus may have had similar feelings to what we just heard Martha express in that verse in, in John chapter 11. Jesus, if you had hurried, if you hadn't stopped to heal that other woman, if you hadn't stopped to, to, to talk to her, if you had just kept going, maybe my daughter would still be alive. Those emotions are, are, are riding high and low in Jairus' heart. But what Jairus didn't know is that Jesus wasn't late in John chapter 11 when he went to Mary and Martha to, to, to heal Lazarus. And he wasn't late as he came to heal Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8. Jesus wasn't late because he knew something that Jairus didn't know. He knew something that, that Mary and Martha didn't know. When he came late, what he did was he created a depth of faith. He showed an even greater power than what they were asking for. See, they were asking for Jesus to heal a sick person. But Jesus knew that in his perfect timing, that it was better for him to come and to, to raise a dead person than it was for him to heal the sick person. When he came late, it created a, a new level of faith, a new level of of belief in these people's hearts. He showed that he not only has power over disease, but over death itself. I want to touch on something for just a moment that, that may make your brain hurt if we try to completely figure it out and, and, and fully wrap our minds around it because it's made my brain hurt. But this is an amazing idea. This is something that's really important for us as Christians to understand what this word is and what this word means practically for us as we follow God. See, Jairus, like us, is bound by space and time. He was a, a person that lived in a specific place, in a specific time in history, that, that, that time to him, well, we know how time works, right? We've, we've kind of grown up in it. Our, today happens, and then after today, then tomorrow happens, and then next week's going to come in a little while, and we, we've got this progression that happens. We see time as a linear line that we get to, to slowly walk along. This happens, then that happens, then that happens. In Jairus' mind, Jesus was too late. He hadn't come early enough in the timeline to save his sick daughter. But you know what? God's not bound by space like we are. God's not bound by time like we are. God doesn't see things the way that we see them. See, God exists outside of space and time. God is able to see everything that, that happens in the world. He, he's able to see every option. He's able to see all the events of history. He knows what's going to happen next week because he can see it. He knows what's going to happen a thousand years from now because he can see it. Things don't surprise God like they surprise us. So what we see happening right now around us, God knows those things. God knows what's going on, and God knows what's going to happen everywhere at all times. Let's try to make sense of it. So uh, imagine you're sitting with a deck of cards playing solitaire. And you deal the cards out, and you, the way that it works for us is we turn the next card over, and we hope we have somewhere to play that card, right? Well, for us, when we face things in life, we, we just kind of deal with them as they come and we hope that we can make sense of them. We hope that we've got a spot to play that card. But if God is playing cards, he doesn't play the same way that we play. 
See, God's going to win solitaire every time because instead of turning the cards over one at a time, he's able to turn them all over, spread them all out across the table, and, and align them perfectly where, where everything makes perfect sense. It plays out as best as it possibly can because God sees all the options. He knows all of the results. He is in perfect control of every moment always. John chapter 8. Verse 58, Jesus talking about this idea, referencing this idea. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. He's saying, hey, guys, this man that lived thousands of years ago, before he was born, I'm, I'm back there too. Well, that doesn't sound like somebody that's bound by space and time. That sounds like somebody that is in control, that, that is on a different playing field than we are. It leads us to this essential point that, that this story shows us really clearly. As we try to understand who God is, this word is really important for us to understand, and it's the fact that God is sovereign. That God is sovereign. Sovereignty, uh, as, as we tried to explain it simply, I, I've, I did a little bit of digging around. I've got these little pocket dictionaries that I just love. They're these little tiny books that give us really simple definitions of really complicated ideas and, and things that show up in the Bible. In the pocket dictionary of apologetics and philosophy of religion, sovereignty is defined as the possession of ultimate authority and power. In political theory, the state is often regarded as sovereign. In theology, sovereignty is a characteristic of the all-powerful, all-knowing creator who governs the universe for his own purposes. So when, G when Jairus was tempted to look at Jesus and go, Jesus, you're too late. Jesus, you didn't make it. No, Jesus was right on time to accomplish his perfect plan in this man and in this family's life. When we're tempted to say, God, why did you let that happen? Why, why? God, don't you see what's happening in our country right now? This, this idea is absolutely the hope that we get to have for facing the chaos that we've seen in the news this week. God, don't you see what's happening in our country? Where, where are you? What are you doing? What, why don't you fix all of it? When we're tempted to say, God... Where are you when life gets hard? When we're tempted to say, where is God when our country needs him most? When we're tempted to say, why isn't God doing something about fill in the blank, whatever it is? The hope that we, that we step away from that question from and, and that we come back to is the fact that God is sovereign, that God is perfectly in control, that there is nothing that happens outside of God's control. There is nothing that catches God by surprise. There's nothing that, that makes God go, oh, no, I didn't see that one coming. God doesn't show up late. Jesus didn't show up late in this story. God doesn't, God doesn't miss the boat. He is in perfect control and is working in his perfect timing every time. He sees everything and he's playing the long game. While we may be dealing with, with what sounds right today, God's at work doing things in us now that may make a difference in 10 years or 20 years or 50 years. We don't know what God's doing. Sometimes we look back on a situation and go, oh, now I see it. And sometimes that's 10 years down the road that we get to look back and go, oh, now I see why I didn't get that job. 
Now I see why that relationship had to change. Now I, now, now I see it, God. See, if, if we're playing checkers, I don't think it's even fair for us to say that God's playing chess because those are too similar. Like we're, God's playing some game that hasn't been invented that's way more complicated than chess. We're, we're just making the next move, and God sees it all because he's in control, because he's sovereign, because nothing takes him by surprise. God can do anything, and nothing is too big for him. So the question for us this week is, will we trust his timing? Will we trust that, that God really is control? Is God in control? Yes. What we believe about God doesn't change the fact that God is in control, but it does change the way that we look at the situation. It does change the, the emotions and the feelings and the fears that we experience when we turn on the news and go, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know what? God does. God does, and, and, and that's what makes it okay. I, I don't have to know what's going to happen tomorrow because I know that, that my God does. So here's... Where, we're going to finish in just a minute, but before we close, I want to offer a challenge to you guys. This is something that I've been thinking about for a little while now. It's, it's something that's been kind of floating around in the back of my mind for a few months now, but it fits here. It fits with this passage, and I think it's the time for us to finally just make the jump and, and challenge each other this week. The worries of life, the, the things that we find ourselves focusing on and seeing and hearing about on the news and, and giving our time and attention to are so distracting. This life is so consuming if we'll allow it to. We say that we want more of God. We say that we want God to be in control in our lives and to be able to trust Him better and, and for God to be at work in our lives but then we keep filling our minds with all the other things. We keep filling our minds with the reasons to worry. We keep filling our minds with, with all the other stuff from the world. So I want to invite you to join me in something. I made the commitment last night to the people that were here last night. and I wanted to, to ask you, would you join me in fasting from all of the things of this world that so easily clutter our minds and, and cause us to worry and cause us to take our eyes off of God? Would you join me in fasting from social media for a month, if that's something that you do? Would you join me in, in, in fasting from the news, in fasting from the politics, in fasting from all of those other things that, that so easily flood our minds with, with distractions? Would you join me in, in just saying, nope, I'm, I went home last night and deleted the social media apps from my phone and deleted the news app from my phone, which has really uh, seemed kind of strange for me. But it's, that is the one that, that has just flooded my mind, especially over the past few days with all of these thoughts of, well, well what's going to happen here? And how's that going to play out? And what about this? And you know what? I'm going to take a month. I'm going to set those things aside. And, and, and part of fasting is not just getting rid of stuff, but it's, it's allowing God to fill those spaces with good things. And so would you join me in fasting from those things, fasting from the negative things, and, and committing to use that time to spend more time reading the Bible and hearing from God, spending more time uh, memorizing Scripture and allowing God's Word to fill our minds would you join me in, in taking that time to pray for revival both in our own hearts and in our church and in our city and in our nation? God is the one that is going to bring hope. 
not Facebook, not Fox News, not CNN, not a president, whichever one you voted for and whichever one you hope is in control at some point in the future. It doesn't matter about that man. It doesn't matter about what's going on at the Capitol building. I can tell you guys that all of them will one day not be in control. God will be. Because God's in control now. God is sovereign. Remember, we, we talked about that. That's the reason why this whole thing is important. God is in control. So would you join me in setting aside all of those things, the, 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 the clutter, and fixing our eyes, fixing our minds on God for the next 30 days? If you guys got a chance to see my video that I shared with you guys. Hopefully you've gotten a chance to see it. I shared with you guys some verses from Matthew chapter 6 that are really just wonderful verses as Jesus is talking about how do we deal with worry? How do we deal with anxiety that creeps up in our life? And, and in those verses, it talks about the fact that, that if God is in control, if God is in control and, and sees the little birds and takes care of the birds, and if he, he takes care of the flowers that grow, how much more is he going to take care of us? In those verses, it reminds us that if we want the best things in life, that we should fix our eyes on God, that we should fix our eyes on His kingdom, that that we should focus on pursuing His righteousness, that all of these things will be added to us if we chase after Him. God will take care of the other stuff if we focus on Him. If we passionately pursue Him, He will supply all of our needs. He gets to worry about all the details. We just get to chase after him. Now, some pastors really like this idea of every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around and and you get to to like duck and hope nobody sees you when you make a commitment. We're not going to do that. Because I, I think while that may be wonderful for some pastors, I want us to be able to look around and to hold each other accountable to this if we're going to make this commitment. So, this isn't every head bowed, this, every eye closed. This is an every eye open, everyone looking around commitment. If you're willing to sacrifice to join me in setting aside those distractions and fixing our eyes on God for the next 30 days, I want you to give me a thumbs up. And I want you to look at your family member or at your friends or at your community group shepherd that may be here and give them a thumbs up. Because if you do that, now we're in this together. We're committed to this, and as we do that, not only do we have to make that stand now, now there's other people that are making that stand with us, and and there's other people that just saw you stick your thumb up, and they're going to hold you accountable because, A, I'm asking them to. Please hold your friends and your family members and your community group members that you're in a group with. Hold them accountable to this, and I have good news. You've got plenty of time to do that because you're not going to be on the internet as much anymore. You're not going to be on Facebook. You're not going to be watching the news as much. You've got time to talk to your friends and, and chase after God together. Community group shepherds, community group members, if you're in a group, this is the question that, that you can ask every single week when you guys get together for the next month. How have you been doing fixing your eyes on God more and, and on the world less? What's God been teaching you this week as you've had more time to spend time reading the Bible or spend more time praying? Or What has God been revealing to you about himself? Let's talk about how awesome God is. God's, I believe God's going to do some stuff in your life if you will commit to this. I believe that God's going to do some things in our church if we will commit to doing this together, to, to setting aside all of the distractions and fixing our eyes on Jesus as the Bible describes him. He's the author. He's the perfecter. He's the finisher of our faith. He's the one that is our hope.
if we fix our eyes on him, if we trust that he is in control, that he is sovereign, that he's the one that gets all of it from us, God will change us and God will change our world. In just a moment, we're going to finish up. Our prayer team is going to be over here on your right. I'd invite you to come talk to them. Come pray with them. If, If this has resonated with you, don't leave here today without talking to someone and praying with someone about it. I'm going to be around over here to your left. Come find me and talk to me. I would love to chat with you guys. But most importantly, I think it's good for us to go and talk to our Father about this now. Would you guys pray with me? God, we thank you that, God, that you are always in control. God, that no matter how overwhelmed or how worked up or how scary life may seem to us, God, we can take a deep breath and know our Father is in control. God, you are good. You are powerful. You are, you are sovereign above everything. God, we trust you this morning. God, help us like Jairus did, like this sick woman did. God, help us to turn to you, even, even if our faith isn't perfect. God, help us to look to you. God, even if we don't have all the answers, God, help us to turn to you in faith and know that you are enough. If we just leave here knowing that you paid the sin penalty that we owed and that, that you are enough for us, God, that is, that's plenty. That's enough for, for this morning. God, help us to just rest in the fact that you are in control when everything seems out of control. God, that you are the one that we can trust when, when, when the other establishments and the other things that we thought we could put our hope in seem to be crumbling around us this week. God, you are the one that's in control. God, we trust you. We love you. We dedicate ourselves to following you as best as we possibly can. God, do your work in our lives. We need you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and that we come to you now. Amen.